Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And with us today, we're so happy to welcome an old show buddy of mine, Beth Kirkpatrick. Welcome, Beth. Welcome, Beth. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Beth and I worked on the stage version, the American premiere Mm -hmm. of Hunchback of Notre Dame back in La Jolla and at Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. You can catch both of us on the studio cast recording. Yes. We're famous in a to a very small amount of people. Yes. Totally. What year was that? I'm trying to remember when that was. 2014 okay. and 2015. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, I was gonna say seven years ago. I mean, time flies. Yeah, wow. It does. That was my first oh. like big job mm-hmm. ever. Man, so cool. And now you're a superstar. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Beth, where are you joining us from today? I am currently in Vero Beach, Florida. As you know, I'm a New Yorker, um, but I'm currently or was until COVID shut it down playing Nettie in Carousel at Riverside Theater here in Vero. I'm so sorry your show got shut down. That sucks. (laughs) You know, sign of the times right now. At least theater is trying to come back and in some ways back. So we'll take what we can get. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Would you tell us a little bit about Team Kirkpatrick, your family growing up and your family today? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I grew up in what I always say was like a typical sitcom family of probably the 80s because I have a mom and a dad and my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad uh, was a businessman <laughs> and I am one of three children. I'm the oldest of three. It's me, my sister, and then my little brother. And we always had a dog or a dog and a cat or a couple dogs growing up. So that was my very, you know, traditional American family growing up in the Midwest. <laughs> and now I live in New York City in an apartment. I always thought I would have a house and a garage and a car. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's me and my dog. I'm a dog mom to a little rescue named Percy. And uh, yeah, and I'm still really close with my family. My sister is married and has two kids and lives in Chicago. My brother's married and has a daughter and lives in Los Angeles. And my parents live mostly in Cincinnati, a little bit in Michigan. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And last question we ask all of our new guests is what was your history with the show Parenthood? Honestly, I... I'm not a regular watcher of Parenthood. I saw the movie that I believe the show is based on. Yes. And it has some of my favorite actors of all time. You know, Peter Krause from Six Feet Under. I was like a huge fan. And um, oh my God, Lauren Graham. Like there are so many people on this show that are just fantastic. So when you guys were like, you should watch this episode and then we'll talk about it. I was like, oh God, why am I not watching this show? You know, so it's <laughs> how one episode in I'm emotionally invested. And then I started going back and watching old ones. And now I'm like, oh, I guess I should start from the beginning. Thanks to my friend's Hulu login that I borrowed. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is really good. I, but it seems like a lot of people missed it. Like mm-hmm. that's, yeah, you're not alone there. So honestly, there's so much good TV nowadays. It's just like, 
you know, you've got to try to catch it all, but it's impossible. So sometimes there are shows where you're like, oh, this is really good. Why am I not watching this? <laughs> I know. Yeah. And there's so many shows on like now that are you going to go back and mm-hmm. see one from 2010? No. So yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, we're so excited to talk about it with you and so happy that you're here. Today, we are discussing Parenthood Season 4, Episode 12, Keep On Rowing. It was written by David Hudgens, directed by Dax Shepard. It originally aired on January 1st, 2013. And here is the DVD synopsis. Jasmine and Crosby help a family member in need. Christina surprises Adam with a new look and a spontaneous night on the town, while Sarah and Hank experience an interesting evening together. (laughs) English teacher, what do you think of the word choice of interesting? I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I know we say it all the time. Yeah. We overuse I, that I word. I was about to say, like... I don't think I have any room to talk about using the word interesting. We're not <laughs> sitting down and writing synopses. That's Come up with a true. more interesting word than interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's true. Well, Dax Shepard is the third cast member, for anyone who's keeping count, to direct an episode. Peter Krause has directed, I think, two episodes by this point, and Sam Jaeger also directed an episode. So lots of people in front of the camera stepping behind the camera. I feel so silly. I didn't even notice that this one was directed by Dax Shepard. So thank you, as always, Caleb, for bringing us that hot information. You know, that one, I can't take credit for it because it's in the credits. That's why I can't believe I did not notice it. (laughs) Watching it twice, how did that pass me by? But for all the people who are always like, I didn't know Dax Shepard could act. He directs too. Yeah. We're just constantly underselling him. So there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I thought we'd start right at the beginning with the braver women dancing in the bar. I thought Monica Potter was so funny Mm. (laughs) in all of her dance dancing in that scene i liked seeing all of those ladies together although i did kind of question if this was out of character for them like is that what four women in their like late 30s and 40s do i i don't know maybe that's judgmental of me it's not what i do but i did best is that what you do when you go out with friends do you go dancing i mean i i not knowing the show as well as you guys i do feel like that is a little bit strange also as a family activity like i do like (laughs) i like seeing the closeness of all of them like how fun but then i was like how often do you go out partying with your family like maybe you're a family that like drinks together in your house and like has fun but like to go out to a bar with your sisters and sisters-in-law is like Oh, that seems like there must be a big event that you're (laughs) celebrating. And I would think there would be other people there, but you know. Yeah, Yeah, no, exactly. I think it would have been more what we've seen in the past if they were at somebody's house drinking wine, talking. But I think probably Mm -hmm. they did it this way to have more impact of you know, Christina with the, with the hair, like I, I imagine that if they were just sitting around that might not have felt as jarring to her and to everyone else. Like they were doing this very young activity together, right. And this very like carefree activity together. So it felt very at odds, I guess, with what happened. And so in that respect, I thought it was effective, but in another way I was like, but, but yeah, it kind of, <laughs> it was, yeah, it didn't really feel like them either. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I figured it must just be so the hair really had an impact. I did also read some interview or something with Monica Potter where she said she was really proud that she got the splits in. Yeah. 
that she can impressive. do the splits and she wanted it on camera. I want it on record that I can do the splits. That's funny. She went to Dax Shepard and she was like, I can do the splits. Can we get it in this episode? I've been waiting for many seasons. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. Yeah. I will say, I do think, you know, it's not unusual for people like after bad news to want to shake it off. So mm. It did make a little sense to me that, you know, you, things are feeling heavy and tense and you want to like go out and drink a little more than you normally would and kind of like try to forget about what's going on. So I think from that point of it, I was like, oh, okay, maybe they're, you know, they want to have like one night where they can forget what's happening. That makes yeah. so much sense. Yeah. Really good point. Well, Beth, one of the big reasons we wanted to have you on <laughs> It's because I know that you recently have been battling breast cancer. Yes, it's true. <laughs> did you do chemo as part of your treatment? Yes, I did. It's funny because from what I watched of the show, they don't give a lot of details, but the kind of breast cancer I had is kind of the most common kind of breast cancer. And it looks like from her journey, and I read that it was based off of one of the showrunner's wives. His wife actually was diagnosed with cancer. And so I was like, oh, I bet they're keeping it kind of like general and most common because it'll appeal to most people or feel familiar. Yeah. So I had kind of a similar journey to Christina where I had surgery first and then I did chemotherapy and then I did radiation. I don't know if she does radiation at all, but um, that would have been the standard point. of care for someone like that. Wow. How did you discover your breast cancer? Was it from a regular mammogram? Uh, so I was diagnosed when I was 39, which wow. you don't even start mammograms till you're 40. And that's like, it's sometimes difficult to get in when you're 40. Like a lot of people, it used to be 50 that you didn't start mammograms, but wow. unfortunately people are getting breast cancer younger and younger. So I thought I felt something. I went to the gynecologist and, you know, she said, yeah, that might be something. Let's have your mammogram and sonogram, you know, a couple months early. And um, yeah, so they, on my first mammogram and sonogram, they were like, yeah, there's something there. Ordered a biopsy. And I got the call uh, New Year's Eve 2020 that Ugh. I had cancer. What a... Oh my god! Awful thing. I mean, like, I new, like a holiday of a pandemic year. Like, God, that's just awful. Yeah. Man. So it was very interesting to watch this, especially you know it's happening to them around the holidays. I'm thinking, oh my god, this feels so familiar. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I had uh, surgery first. There are so many different choices when it comes to surgery with breast cancer, but the big decision is: Are you going to do? mastectomy or lumpectomy and mastectomy can be partial mastectomy. Some people just get one breast removed. Some people do both. And then along with mastectomy come a lot of reconstructive options. You know, are you going to go, are you going to do breast implants? Are you going to go to flat? Are you going to do what they call deep reconstruction, which is basically where they take like your skin from your stomach or sometimes from your thighs and make breasts out of it. So oh, you don't wow. have implants, but you have, you know, mounds of fat that look like breasts because <laughs> breasts can be whatever you want them to be. Yeah. So those are basically the choices. I had a lumpectomy. Um, I don't know if they talk about what Christina has, but I would assume something similar because lumpectomy is kind of the easiest surgically you're, especially for people with kids. If you have a mastectomy, you can't pick up your kids for a, quite a long time because it's a major surgery involving pectoral muscles and things like that. 
Yeah. And then, um, they biopsied my cancer after my lumpectomy. And nowadays they send it away for this test called an oncotype score, where they tell you if you benefit from chemo. So if your cancer is pretty advanced, you're definitely going to do chemo. But if you catch it on the earlier side, the oncotype scores tells you whether or not it's a, you know, fast growing or whether or not chemo will be beneficial because chemo is really hard on your body. So it's also, you know, has its downsides. So they don't want people to do chemo unnecessarily. Right. Yeah. And I did four rounds of chemo. You do them every three weeks. If you do what they call my chemo, the medication, um, you do two chemos and they are called dose dense. So some people like older people will do chemo once a week, but it'll be a lighter amount of chemo. Mm. And, um, if you're younger and stronger, and I assume that's what Christina is doing from the timeline of the show, she would do chemo like once every three weeks. So you can kind of bounce back a little between chemo sessions. So you feel bad for about a week and then you feel not great for a week. And then you kind of have a week where you feel almost normal. And then you go have another chemo. Uh. I can't even yeah. imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then if you have a lumpectomy, you um, do radiation after chemo just to kind of, they say cancer is like dropping a glass. So surgery picks up the big shards. Chemo is your vacuum. And then radiation is like a wet paper towel that you wipe off, you know, the microscopic stuff before you let a baby walk on a floor. That is incredibly wow. useful. I really like metaphors. <laughs> and that really helps me <laughs> picture that in a way that I never have understood before. Yes, she did have a lumpectomy. And I remember mm -hmm. there was a scene where the doctor said that it was a more aggressive type of cancer than they had anticipated. Her or too really, new. That was it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then they had... Oh, yeah. Did they talk about her? Is she her too new positive? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then the chemo... Yeah. So basically when it comes to her too, if you're her too positive, you always have chemo. When you're talking about breast cancer, there are kind of three qualifiers, which is estrogen, progesterone, and HER2. More common is estrogen or progesterone positive, which means basically your hormone, your cancer feeds off of the hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And then um, the HER2 is basically, you're either HER2 positive or negative. And so you can be triple positive where estrogen, progesterone, and the HER2 are positive. You also could be triple negative, which is actually a very aggressive form of breast cancer where your cancer doesn't feed off of hormones. And that's dangerous also, because then if you have hormone positive breast cancer, part of your treatment is to turn off the hormones in your body so that your cancer has nothing to eat. But if you are mm. hormone negative, then there aren't as many treatments because there's like targeted immunotherapy and chemotherapy, but there's no hormone therapy, which wow. if you've ever heard of people who have cancer and then they're on medications for five to 10 years, that's hormone therapy to keep the cancer from coming back. Wow. But if you're HER2 positive, it's always more aggressive. You have to do chemo no matter what. Wow. Okay. Yep. So when you get this call New Year's Eve, <laughs> that you have cancer. I, I've heard before that the first hurdle of cancer is just accepting that you have it. I mean, it's such a scary word, I think. And to hear like you have cancer and, and to grapple with that. How did you feel any difficulty with that? Or did it feel like a rallying cry? Like, okay, this is what I have to face. Here I go. Uh, I think everybody handles it a little bit differently, but I will say 
one of the themes I've found with so many of the people I've now met who have gone through this is that it is pretty shocking. It's really hard to kind of come to terms with. They say a lot of people don't even deal with the emotional repercussions of having cancer until after you've gone through your active treatment. That makes sense. Because yeah, it's just so much. And um, I say this from the point of view of someone who had an experience with cancer in that my mom had breast cancer when she was in her fifties. So it felt a little closer to home. I always knew to be vigilant about doing self checks. And, you know, I had my appointment for my first mammogram scheduled like a month after my 40th birthday, which just wasn't soon enough, but, but I knew it was, you know, a reality in my world that people did get cancer. So I think some people are like, what, nobody gets cancer. But even knowing that, you know, that my mom had had cancer and that that put me at a higher risk for having cancer, it was really a lot to handle. And, you know, I think I got the call on New Year's Eve and I sat down and just was like kind of in shock for a little bit. And then I called my family, which was really hard because I didn't want to have to tell them. And my parents and my sister's family were together and I felt like I was ruining their holiday, you know, and, but I wanted to ask my mom a bunch of questions. Cause you know, I was like, she had given me a list of, Oh, you know, if for some reason they call and, you know, ask some questions about her too and estrogen and progesterone and how big is it? And do they know anything about stage? And a lot of that stuff, you don't find out when they say you have cancer, they say, we're going to find out more, but you know, make an appointment with a surgeon and an oncologist. And you're like, what? So it's a lot to take in. And honestly, the hardest part of all of it, I mean, chemo is horrible, but is the not knowing and the waiting between stages because, you know, that was Thursday. Everyone was closed for New Year's in the whole weekend. So I immediately started trying to call doctors, couldn't get anyone on the phone. So I was like, okay, now I have to wait till Monday to make an appointment. And awful. this was when New York was still battling COVID. This was pre-vaccine. So appointments for any kind of doctor were incredibly backed up. So even on Monday morning, I start calling and people say, oh, maybe we can squeeze you in in three weeks, maybe in January. And you're like, what? Like, are you kidding me? You know? So yeah. yeah. And then I had some more bad luck. I tested positive for COVID about a year ago. Oh my And gosh. so my surgery had to be postponed because I got COVID. So I, you know, was sitting at home feeling sick with COVID and every day I tested positive. It was another day they had to push back surgery. And then they couldn't tell me the um, treatment plan after surgery until they got the Oncotype score back. And because of COVID, there's only one lab in California that runs the Oncotype score and it was backed up. So it took almost three weeks when they said, oh, it'll be back in one to two weeks. And, you know, lots of waiting there. So the waiting and the not knowing is the hardest for me. Once I knew the treatment plan, like, okay, you're going to do four rounds of chemo. You're going to do radiation. You're going to do hormone therapy. I was like, now you just put your head down and you do it. You just yeah. barrel through. That that makes so much sense to me. I I think that sounds like the hardest part. Just I I I'm so anxious about everything and during the pandemic, <laughs> I just keep wishing to know like when will this part be over? You know, when will the vaccines be here? And then I was like, "Oh, that didn't end mm-hmm. it. Now when will it end?" And that's on such a global scale. I can't imagine just on such a personal level of a battle like that. I, it just 
sounds so awful. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but And I do remember a character, Gwen, saying, God, there's so much waiting yeah. on the show. That's right. And, yeah. Um, and like the it's first... nice to hear from someone who went through all the waiting that, yes, there's a lot of waiting. Yeah, it is. Because you, you know, I, every most people only have experience with cancer from TV and movies. And mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, it goes fast and, oh, cancer's a big deal. So they must rush you to surgery and you have chemo the next day. But, you know, our medical system is slow and you're waiting for approval from insurance and you know oh they've asked for the mri in the wrong way they coded it wrong so we're canceling today's mri but hopefully we can get it on thursday you know there's a lot of that which is just really emotionally difficult when you're thinking i I might be dying right now you know this is the sickest my body has ever been and nothing's happening like that is hard to deal with yeah completely In the midst of the pandemic, did you still have health insurance when you got diagnosed? So luckily, I've been on equity insurance for like eight years with no breaks because of tour mostly. So I did. I had good Cigna insurance when I was diagnosed. It ran out in um, the end of June, but Biden had that COBRA subsidy that took me till the end of September. And then I'm paying for Cobra right now, which is like $1,100 a month, which oh is my God. the worst thing ever. But this is how fucked up our health system is, is the standard of care for people on this, you know, hormonal treatment post breast cancer used to be that if you were premenopausal, you got a drug called tamoxifen. And if you were postmenopausal, you got a class of drug called aromatase inhibitors and as of like five years ago, they realized that the aromatase inhibitors are like maybe 15% better than tamoxifen, but they only work if you're in menopause. So if your ovaries are basically asleep. So if you get breast cancer at like 20, they still put you on tamoxifen because your ovaries being awake is good for you for other reasons for like bone health. Like it can stop you from getting osteoporosis and maybe heart health. But if you're basically like over 30, they're the new thing they do is they give you this monthly shot that shuts down your ovaries so you can take the aromatase inhibitor because it works better. Wow. So I looked at when my, um, when the Cobra subsidy ended at the end of September, I was already on the, um, hormone therapy and I looked at, you know, going to marketplace healthcare, you know, because I had been on unemployment during COVID, which made me too, I had made too much money to get made Medicaid or Medicare, whichever one is for poor people, not old people. <laughs> and um, so I had to shop on the marketplace, but basically I was only, the only thing I qualified for was this New York essential plan. They didn't take any of my doctors at Mount Sinai, my oncologist, my surgeon, like anybody. So they're like, oh, it's fine. You just have to find new doctors. I'm like, I have like 10 to 15 doctors I'm seeing regularly. So that would be a full-time job. And I found out the insurance won't pay for the ovarian suppression and the aromatase inhibitor because it's not standard of care yet because it's been, because they, they go by like what's been standard of care for the longest. And eventually it will be, but it like has to have been standard of care for a certain amount of years. And so it's like, I was like, wait, so I have like, I have to go on this drug that will make me have a 15% higher chance of getting breast cancer in the next five years. Like that's not nothing, you know? So yeah. (sighs) So I'm paying for, um, 
Cobra right now. And then I worked at the Muni this summer. And with this job, I'll get six more months of health insurance. So I'm like, hallelujah. Good. Oh Good. my gosh. Oh my yeah. gosh. The system I know, is but it so like, it is. It's, it's so fucked. Oh my God. Yeah. That this is the stuff you have to deal with is so frustrating. Ugh. And we've had international listeners who've heard us discuss just in passing U.S. Yeah. health insurance. And they'll write to us and say, I can't believe yeah. What I hear about, yeah, because they just have health care. Yeah, as you should. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right, <sighs> as you should. As yeah, you should. no one should have to, you know, think about eating or not dying. You right. know, yeah. that's just right. ridiculous. Yeah. Is it too early to ask, like, how are you these days? You know, are you? What's the status? I suppose. Are you doing okay? Doing really well. Doing Good. really well. Yeah. Diagnosed on New Year's Eve, twenty twenty. Surgery in February. By the time I finally had surgery, I did uh, four rounds of chemo starting in March. I started radiation in June. June and July was radiation. I did twenty one rounds. You go Monday through Friday, so about five weeks of radiation. And then I started a hormone therapy that I'll be on for the next five to 10 years, which basically suppresses hormones in my body. I get a shot once a month to put me in medical menopause Wow! because any estrogen in your body is dangerous. You know, your chance of your cancer coming back is much higher right away after in case there are any trace cells that survived all your treatments. Yeah, but as of end of July, I was what they call no evidence of disease, NED. So traditionally, I know like on TV, they say in remission a lot. Technically, you're not in remission until you've been cancer-free for 10 years. Wow. Because chances of it coming back are the highest in the first 10 years. Um, Yeah, but no evidence of disease, which means as of now, my body is hypothetically, you know, there's no cancer. I'm perfectly healthy. I'm just on a lot of supplements and drugs for a while. (laughs) And how often do you get sort of like checked out, I suppose? Like how, how often, how do they check in to make sure you're still no evidence of disease? Uh, not as often as you would think there is a thing in the cancer community called scanxiety, because when you have your scans coming up, you have major anxiety because they don't come up very often. It's one of the reasons why some people opt for a lumpectomy over a mastectomy is if you have a mastectomy, you don't get mammograms, you don't get sonograms. Oh yeah. So you're, Mm. a lot of people are left thinking, I just have to hope because a lot of people don't realize you have breast tissue that goes all the way up into your armpits and, you know, up into the high end of the chest wall. And so there are some people will, you know, get breast cancer in their armpit years later, even after a mastectomy. Wow. But with a lumpectomy, I'll now get, um, I get a mammogram sonogram every six months for the next couple of years. Some people, depending on how, you know, your stage of cancer, like I was probably considered stage 2A, which is pretty early. And I maybe would have been stage one, but honestly, I had to wait for surgery so long that my cancer had grown bigger, which is part of the staging. Um, You know, it's like aggressiveness of your tumor and, you know, certain markers. But if you're stage four, like you have metastatic cancer or maybe stage three, you would do a little more blood work possibly to look at cancer markers but it's not always reliable. So it can cause more anxiety. So I don't get any blood work to check for cancer markers. I just do. I see my surgeon every six months for mammogram sonogram. And um, 
And I have to make sure that I stay on these hormone blockers. They can have bad side effects. So a lot of people don't want to do them, but your oncologist will say that they're, you know, possibly more important than everything else you've done, because it's the only way for us to know that your body is not secretly harboring cancer in the meantime. Wow. Makes such sense. Wow. What is the chemo experience like during COVID? Well, I mean, one of the most frustrating things to me, seeing how some people still aren't getting vaccinated and hospitals are having trouble containing things is I know people who have stage four cancer, which means it's metastatic. It's, you know, spread throughout their body, sometimes to their ribs or to their, you know, brain or anywhere. And these are people who get chemo regularly for the rest of their life. Because if you're metastatic, it is eventually a terminal diagnosis, but you know, some people can live 10, 15, who knows how many years with medicine changing as it is. But one of the things that people don't realize is that as hospitals fill up with COVID patients, people who have things like, oh, I'm a terminal cancer patient who gets chemotherapy once a week, those treatments are sometimes postponed because there are not enough hospital workers available. There is not a way to keep cancer patients safe coming in and out of the hospital. It just breaks my heart. I mean, I had to go to surgery by myself. Every chemo treatment I went to by myself, I couldn't have family or friends in the hospital. I, similar to Christina, what they say is after you have chemo, it basically wipes out your entire immune system. So especially during COVID, you have to be incredibly safe. But even not during the time of COVID, you monitor your temperature all the time because they say if your temperature goes over 101.6, you're at risk for what they call in the episode sepsis. But um, in the cancer world, they say neutropenic fever, which basically means the chemo wipes out your white blood cells. You have no immune system. And then any kind of infection in your body can make you deathly ill. So for example, after my first chemo treatment, I spiked a fever and my mom was with me, staying with me to help take care of me after chemo. And we grabbed an Uber to the hospital and my mom couldn't come with me into the hospital So I walked into the lobby of the hospital and I immediately passed out. Oh my God. And, you know, they rushed me into the ER and, you know, they're kind of asking you questions. And I, I did all my treatments at Mount Sinai Dubin Breast Center where they specialize in breast cancer. And so I had taken a cab there rather than the hospital that was closer to my apartment. And luckily so, because they got my name and my birth date and they immediately knew like, oh, she had chemo on this date. It could be neutropenic fever. And, um, It turns out I had a blood clot, which they think was caused by the combination of chemo, cancer, and COVID, because those are all three things that give you a higher risk for blood clots. And I was in the hospital for a week by myself, you know, couldn't talk to anyone, couldn't have visitors. Like, so it is heartbreaking, the people who have to go through this during COVID, because you do spend a lot of time alone And you're constantly in danger. Like I was told during chemo, never ride the subway for, you know, three months. Like I didn't ride the subway because you just can't catch a cold. You can't get a UTI, you know, anything like that could make you incredibly deathly ill so quickly. My goodness. That is so intense. And, you know, just for the purposes of like this podcast, it helps contextualize things because sometimes it's hard to tell 
if you personally haven't like experienced something, is the show dramatizing certain elements? And listening to you, the last episode where she was deathly ill in the hospital, it seems like no, it seems like they were not dramatizing that. And that's exactly what could happen. And that's that makes all of it just more terrifying. And I'm just so sorry you had to go through that, especially during COVID and <laughs> by yourself. That's just awful. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good to, you know, have these narratives on in art and media and TV because it is a reality for so many people. And if it, you know, feels like something you've seen before, hopefully it's not as scary. But it is amazing to me that, you know, it can be very scary very quickly, you know, especially I'm an actor. My body is my instrument, you know, I've never been a super skinny person, but I work out, I eat well, I have never had a health problem before, you know, aside from like an injury in a show. And (laughs) so it is kind of crazy that these things can take a person who is incredibly healthy. And I have so many people in my, you know, cancer support groups and stuff who are marathon runner vegans who get cancer. And you're like, it doesn't discriminate. And, you know, it is amazing that such a strong body can be so vulnerable so quickly. Yeah. And I was very lucky, like Christina, to have a supportive network. So, you know, my mom came to stay with me during chemo. My sister came run one round. One of my best friends came, my brother came to visit, you know, I had friends in my neighborhood running errands for me and picking up medication and walking my dog. So I think that's also one of the things can make a big difference. You know, she has on the show, she has, it's hard to ask for help. It really is. We're all independent people and you feel guilty. And I remember being in therapy during treatment and saying, you know, like, I don't know. I I'm, I'm not writing thank you notes fast enough. And you know, how can I ever repay my friends who are just walking my dog without asking? And my therapist said something to me like, well, you know what? The sun shines on you every day and you enjoy its warmth and you don't say, you know, son, what do I have to do for you? So (laughs) you would do the same for everyone in your community who's doing this for you. So you don't have to feel guilty about it, but it is, you know, there are so many things about it that are kind of hard to deal with. Yeah. And, you know, even just hearing this, if you were Christina and had gone through all of this and you had a night where you felt good enough to go out drinking and dancing, it it does make so much more sense. Like, hell yeah, I want to go party like I'm 22, you know? Yeah. 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 And on that good week from chemo, you want to try to see your friends or feel a little normal because, you know, there's one week where you just are laying on the couch and, you know, having horrible side effects. So I felt for her, you know, and having a night where you get to have a date with your husband and someone thinks you're pretty like, oh my God, because you're looking in the mirror and all you're seeing are the changes in your body. Unlike Christina, I did this procedure that they call cold capping, which is relatively new in the U.S. It's been around in Europe and Canada longer, where you wear a freezing cold hat during your chemo treatment, and they pump automobile coolant through it so that you freeze your hair follicles so the chemo doesn't affect them. Wow. So I kept uh, most of the hair on my head. Um, I have a lot of, if you see me in person, you can see where 
the hair fell out, I have new growth. So I, it looked like I kept most of my hair, but now that new hair is growing in, you're like, oh, I must've been bald there. And I didn't realize, but you know, you lose your eyelashes and your eyebrows and your skin is dry and you're dehydrated and you're on, you know, anti-nausea medication and all kinds of stuff. And so you don't feel like you look good. You're puffy or you're flaky. And, you know, so the idea that she got to have a night where someone else noticed her as a woman, when your body is feeling like very foreign to you, I feel like that was such a gift in this episode too, you know? That's a good point. I have always really loved that scene. I especially love that when her husband, you know, when Adam comes up, they sort of like exchange like amused glances, I guess. And, you know, it's just, it's so (laughs) lovely because I feel like other shows might mine that for all the drama they could and Adam would be mad at her for flirting or something. I I love that that was a non-issue and he (laughs) got exactly what you're saying. He got, this is fun for Mm -hmm. her and she's obviously not trying anything bad the second I came over. She's like, I'm (laughs) sorry. You know, she comes clean almost entirely. Um, And I I just, I loved that. I thought that was really great. (laughs) Well, so you then didn't ever have a dramatic moment in front of your mirror where you shaved all your hair off. I did not. Um, you know, as an actress, I knew that losing my hair would be not just an incredibly emotional thing, but also have longer repercussions, you know, mm. new headshots, you know, it's mm. my hair that's grown back is about, I don't know, maybe three inches long and that's having not cut it. So I would have a major pixie cut now, you know, like six, nine months later. So that was a lot for me to deal with. So with the possibility of cold capping, that was a big draw on that for me. And the other thing is depending on what chemo regimen you're in, some of them cause permanent hair loss. And that was, there was a chance of that with my chemo. And so I was like, I, it would be one thing to be bald. And there was a time during treatment where if you're cold capping, you have to be really delicate with your hair. You can't take hot showers. You can't do a bunch of stuff. And there was a time where I was like, I feel so horrible. I'm so sick. All I want is to not have hair because I want to sit in the shower with hot water on. I don't want to have to, you know, worry about my silk pillowcase. I'm so uncomfortable. So I did, there was like one point where I was like, it would probably feel very freeing right now. But I also was like, uh, except if six months from now, I had a giant bald spot and they told me it was permanent. I don't know if I could have, you know, come back from that. That would have been pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. But I was also very lucky. Um, A couple of days before I started chemo, I'm part of a group called five under 40, which is for women who are diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 40. And they took me to get a wig. So I had a wig. I went and they, you know, um, sit you down and they try a bunch of wigs on and you get to pick which one you want. So that was amazing because even when I couldn't wash my hair for weeks, I had a wig that I would wear on zoom auditions and for self tapes and whenever I needed to look normal, because I really relate to Christina walking around, you know, and feeling like people are staring at her because that is one of the hardest things is you already don't feel good. You definitely don't want undue attention. I'm all right. I uh, just had sort of a crummy day. Everywhere that I went today, everybody looked at me like I was some sort of a freak show. You know, Carlos, our butcher, he looked at me like I had leprosy, like he was going to catch it. I just just, had to get out of there. It's just startling. People just need a little bit of time to get used to it. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that. 
Don't do what? I don't really care about other people's feelings right now. I don't. All right. Well, what about, what about Max? Max loves it. He says I look like Bane from the Batman movie. Listen, Adam, honey, I just, this I... is a part of the process. This is a tough part of the process. We knew it was going to be like this. Is it? Yeah. It's and, part of the you know, process. Your hair is still in there. It's going to grow back. You don't understand, okay? I well, thought this whole thing would be so, you know, transforming and liberating, and I would feel the sense of freedom and going out the other night like I was a normal human being and hanging out with your sisters and just, just like we used to, you know? Okay. It's okay to let loose a little bit, all right? Okay, I get it. Thanks. Just try not to be hard on yourself. I'm not, here. okay? You don't need to lecture me. I'm not trying to lecture you. I just don't want you to... I just don't want you to... Christina, I'm on your side, I know you're okay? On side, I don't know okay? what to do. Please, please don't be mad at me. Honey, I'm not mad at you. I'm just going to the bathroom. All right. I think that is one of the harder things. Like, I think the actual shaving is emotional, but a lot of people find it kind of freeing. But then you don't think about the fact that people are looking at you. People are, you know... A lot of people walk through the world kind of from a selfish or, you know, we are our own best advocates. So we, of course, we look out for ourselves, but I think a lot of people don't walk around thinking, oh, that woman has short hair because it fell out because of chemo. They think like, oh, her hair looks so stupid in that haircut. It's so short. That's weird, you mm -hmm. know, or like, why is that lady bald? That looks terrible. Why is she wearing that weird hat, you know? And so I was wearing weird hats to friends' baby showers outdoors in the park. And, you know, you're trying to look normal because you don't want, you can't handle all the questions that come with it. You know, yeah, it's totally. uncomfortable. You're a constant reminder to people of their own mortality. And a lot of people don't know how to deal with a breast cancer diagnosis or a cancer diagnosis. So they're a little afraid of you because they don't know what to say to you. And I think the not having hair kind of exacerbates all of that. You know, yeah. it's kind of an undeniable visual cue to people that like something's not right here, which is scary. Yeah. 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 Well, let's dive into this fight that arises out of Adam getting what he thinks is what Christina wants. What do you think? You don't it's like a, it? It's a wig. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you looking for them on the internet, so I thought I'd save you the trouble and pick one up Wait for you. Wait a second. Is this what you think my hair looks like? Are you kidding? You're, this no. is a joke. I, no, Honey. It's Honey, this is, like, pathetic. It's like a hooker wig. I mean, really. It's bad. It's really bad. I don't know. How, how much did you spend on that? $250. Oh, you better get your money back. That's All right, for you sure. know what? You I know what, though? It doesn't make any sense to me. I thought this Why would you buy you me I'll a wig? If you, if you think that I look this disgusting, obviously you want to cover me up, so this is more for you than it is <laughs> That's for me. Not no, what it is. is. It actually is. I think is. you look beautiful. I Adam, thought this was something that you wanted. Please okay? admit That's to why me that I got you hate this. that I look sick. I don't please. hate the way you look. Honey, when I woke you up the other night in bed, you freaked out. I think you look beautiful. I was asleep. You're lying to me. Christina, I am not lying. Christina, I got this for you. Okay, all right. A portacath in my chest. I have bruises all over my body and scars. My head is bald. I know you do. Okay. Beautiful Stop to it. me. Hey, Stop honey, it. I'm not the enemy here, okay? Back. I got this for Just you. Like, you got it for me or for you? You know what? I'll take it back. <laughs> take it back. I don't want it. I will take it back. <laughs> you should tell me when you're coming home early. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I really loved that scene. <laughs> I felt like both of their reactions made perfect sense. You know, 
him wanting to help and not understanding how and, and her probably not really being mad at him, but being so insecure and frustrated. I, I don't know. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a great fight to see on TV because no one's 100% wrong, you know, which is more realistic that people are trying their best, but you can still fight over things where everybody's trying their best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad for Adam because I really think he was trying and how nice of a husband to notice what she was searching for on the internet and to think he was helping. Also, how kind of traditional heterosexual male, like, oh, I can just fix this. I'll just buy something <laughs> yeah. and fix this, you know? Yeah. That's my dad. My dad Adam's is that kind fixer. of guy where yeah. it's like, right. Like, it's like, oh, I saw that you needed that. So I got you one. Done. All better, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was a little annoyed that Sarah was with him at the wig store and let him buy the wig that was like, ridiculous because i feel like <laughs> she knew on, if you're gonna be there to help right she knew she was like yeah, yeah that's what her hair looks like ha huh? it's like girl then help him steer him to the right aisle and say like maybe she'd like this a little better you know mm -hmm. yeah but i also think for christina it's such an emotional time and there are certain things where you know you want that support and you need that support but also like appearance can be such a personal thing so i you know i was like I started following all these people on Instagram who had wigs, who had turbans thinking, oh, maybe I just need to buy the right wig or the white right turban and it'll make me feel normal. And yet someone else gives you a wig and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, how rude can you be? You know, because yeah. it's kind of one of those things where no one can win, you know, because yeah. If you're the husband, you just have to shut up and say, whatever you want, babe, you look so pretty. I love you so much. I don't care what you look like. And you look great. And I love you. And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because there are no rules. It's, you know, deep emotional stuff. Yeah. One misstep that I do think Adam made, although I, I totally agree, he had the best of intentions <laughs> and that made the fight really interesting. But like when he's buying wigs with his sister, he tells Sarah well, Christina's embarrassed to leave the house. And I thought back to when Christina told him about going to the store and stuff. And I thought, I don't think she actually said that. I don't think she expressed a problem with how she looks. She expressed a problem with how she was. Perceived. Perceived. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I think you're right, Beth. It was probably just that went through his, he sees what she's looking at on the computer and it goes through his Mr. Fix it yeah. brain. And he thinks, Oh, she just hates how she looks and she doesn't want to leave the house. And I thought, I bet she would love to leave the house. It's the eyes on her. That is the problem. Well, and I thought Sarah brought up such a good point. It was kind of just in passing, but she's like, you know, she should really be here to pick this out. This is too personal. Like this is, you know, and, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, no one could go buy me a pair of jeans or something like, let alone <laughs> something as personal as that. Like you, I don't even think a person could probably order a wig online and fully, like I would imagine you wouldn't know exactly what it would look like until it was on your head, I'm guessing, you know? And and so like the one he bought happened to be so terrible that I think you could just look at it and tell it was bad. <laughs> but I feel like even like, if That he, was never gonna be good. It was yeah. never gonna be good. But I feel like even if he bought one that looked good, 
I wonder, you know, like there's still a chance that it wouldn't have been the right one because it just, yeah, it feels so personal. Sarah was right. You just got to bring her there. And maybe that would have made her feel special, like him taking her to do that. But maybe that would have also triggered something. You know, it's very hard to know. And she might not have even known what she she wants. You know, sometimes you're just so upset. You don't even know what's going to help and what's going to harm. I feel like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where you look back at and you say, okay, Adam, if you, you know, notice that, then maybe you sit down with her and you say like, Hey babe, I noticed you were doing that. So I did some research. There's a wig store here in town. Like, do you want to go together and we can pick something out? Or I found someone who can make a wig from your hair. So did you save your hair when you got it off? Let's go get a wig made, you know, because there are a lot of options, but it is, it's such a personal thing. And some people don't want a wig that looks like their hair, you know, like her red wig that she ends up with. Some people think if I'm going to have to wear a wig, it's never going to look like my own exact hair. So why don't I embrace it? Why don't I take this time to wear something funky? You know, a friend of mine who, um, has breast cancer currently and has had it for a while, sent me a pink wig. And one day I wore my pink wig because I was like, if I'm going to wear a wig, I might as well wear a pink wig, you know, because (laughs) I remember seeing you post a picture of that wig. Oh, I love that. On social media. It looked Mm -hmm. great. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, you know what, this is a way for me to feel like I look different, but maybe this is how I am right now. And this is what I look like in this moment because So many of us are defined by what we see in the mirror, whether it's a good or a bad thing or a comforting thing. You know, the color of your hair and the texture of your hair are very familiar to us by the time we're adults. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense. I just could not get over that thought. Like when she did shave her head, I'm like, that must be I I, I liked when she told Adam she thought it would be liberating. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe in the moment, it even kind of seemed like it was, you know, you see her like smiling, but I can, I can imagine that it must be such an emotional time that like, you're just feeling all kinds of things at once. And so even if it's partially liberating, it's also probably terrifying to lose Mm -hmm. that sense of like self in the mirror. Yeah. Like, like it might be partially on a vanity level, which I get like, that makes sense. Like we do get used to how we look, but also beyond that, I would think just, yeah, familiarity with your own body and face, like that would be, I don't know. That's, it's all I could think about. Well, and the fact that she chose to do it in the middle of the night alone is fascinating, you know, because it is like a scary thing for most people. Your hair doesn't fall out until usually day 21 after your first round of chemo is when you start shedding, they call it. So I can imagine, you know, she's at the club and some of it falls out and then you brush your hair and more of it falls out. And I was just thinking of her, you know, it's one night and she's not asleep yet or she wakes up in the middle of the night and there's another clump of hair and she's like, I'm doing it now. I've got to do it now, you know? Have like some control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And to feel empowered by it and not like you're losing something, but like you're choosing something. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing is like, people don't talk about when you're losing your hair from chemotherapy, like it hurts your follicles hurt. Mm. There are whole Facebook groups about like, now I'm having these weird little prickly hairs and people use lint rollers to help with the prickly hairs on their head. And, you know, because your whole body is a little more sensitive and 
your hair follicles, you can feel them. Like they do hurt a lot. Like when you've had your hair in a ponytail really yeah. tight all day and it comes down and you're like, Ooh, they feel like that, like constantly, you know? Ooh. So God. if you're that uncomfortable and you're just like, I'm doing it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to feel better. So I understand that. But then, you know, how many of us know what our bald head looks like? It's that's scary. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I hope this isn't like a bad thing to wonder, but Monica Potter chose not to shave her head, you know, and I, I think you can tell, you know, I think, I think it's, I think it's pretty clear that that's like a, a, a bald cap that she's wearing. And I read an interview where she said the reason for it was like, it felt insensitive somehow to, to do that as an actor. And I thought that was a really interesting note because I guess I would have guessed it was more for like reasons you had talked about Beth, like Christina isn't an actress, but Monica Potter is an actress. And she was on a show that was always, <laughs> you know, always on the bubble and they never knew if they were going to get another season. And I just, I guess I wondered if this show ends this season and she has to like go do pilots and stuff or try to get a movie, mm. you know, like maybe that would be harder if she didn't have hair. And so I did not blame her. I don't know that I would want to do that if I did not have to. That would be a hard thing to do. But at the same time, I did think it affected the um, maybe the power of that scene where she's shaving her head. I thought they did a pretty good job mm -hmm. with it. But I think you can tell like even the first shot where she's looking at herself in the mirror, her hair looks different. And I'm you, I think you can tell that she's wearing a wig that she's about to shave. And anyway, maybe it's terrible that I'm even questioning it. But I wondered if either of you had thoughts or feelings about the show's choice. And if seeing her bald where it didn't look quite as natural as I think it would have if she'd really done it, if that had a big effect on how you uh, perceived that story or, you know, or if it didn't. I would say for me, it became pretty obvious during the shaving scene that it was, you know, a wig with a bald cap. And I was thinking, I was probably taken out of the storyline a little because I was thinking, oh, interesting. They found, you know, I wonder if they glued down the lace of the wig before they shaved it. How did they get such a uniform pattern on her, you know, prickles? So I was thinking of the mechanics because it had become obvious to me that it was not her actually shaving her head. So right, right. I think that's a little hard because if it takes you out of it, then it's not as effective as it would be if you were you know, watching a character and an actress shave their own head, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, I don't know that I, I can't, I mean, it's hard to know in this world what is going to offend people, but I don't think anyone would be offended by someone shaving their head to play a cancer patient, because I yeah. feel like that feels like normal in our world of Hollywood and that people do extreme things for parts they're doing. I can't imagine anyone would say like, how dare she shave her head to play right. someone going through chemotherapy. That seems like not the best excuse. So I would, my guess would be that Monica Potter, the actress decided that it was not a good financial decision for her based on the possibility of upcoming other work. You know, I don't think she's doing it anymore, but she used to be like, a Revlon spokesperson. Revlon doesn't oh, yeah. want you to be bald in your lipstick commercial, you know? So that's a good point. That would yeah. be my guess. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Melissa, I love that you looked that up because of course I did too. <laughs> and her quote was, it's a weird thing for me when actresses shave their heads for roles. I feel like if I'm not going through it, it's almost for me a gimmick. Like, look, she is so brave. She shaved her hair. There are women who are going through that and I just didn't want to, you know? 
I think it's maybe a valid point, but I also think you're right, Beth. Like no one's going to be offended by that. And I think as long as if someone actually called her brave for shaving her head, like in an interview, well, maybe Monica Potter just says, shaving my head was not that brave. There are women who don't have a choice and lose their hair. Boom. You've taken care of like anyone who would have been offended by that. Yeah. And I think you yeah. come off looking really good too. Yeah. So like when <laughs> Right. If you say, oh no, I shaved my head to portray someone who's actually going through this. And there are millions of women who have breast cancer every year in America and they have to deal with that. So what I did was nothing compared to that. You know, then people exactly. would have been like, yeah. oh, she's a hero. Right. And she also said in the same article, they asked me to, but I said, no, my daughter would have been freaked out. I thought about it, but my Molly said, mommy, don't do that. She said, you don't have to do that. Just wear a bald cap. So it's like, well, is it this principled stand or is it my daughter thought I'd I really think it's she just didn't want to and <laughs> worries yeah. how and that I might even sound. Really blame her. No, for it, I don't but. either. But it does take me out of the moment. And it makes me think of this movie that I don't even think is great, but I was obsessed with it in high school, Empire Records. <laughs> and yes! yeah, and that has a scene where someone <laughs> literally shaves their head. Yes. And they had to get it in one take. And like the first thing that really like threw me off about Christina is who on earth wouldn't cut their hair first? You know what I mean? Like whose first step for shaving yes! your head is I was just the same thing. shaving your long hair. And so like I was thinking, you know, Empire Records, Robin Tunney just cuts it with scissors really short and yep. then she starts buzzing yeah. it and it looks so realistic and of course it's she's not 100% bald either there's like little mm-hmm. little fuzz and that was kind of distracting for me yep. too because I'm like well how close did you have to shave to get 100 yeah and so it did take me out of it a little and mm-hmm. so no judgment or anything but I do think that this the, the episode which I thought was really good would have been more effective yeah I had the same thought about the cutting because I when you go through chemo you're not allowed to use um razors because mm. if you get like a cut shaving your legs it can get like uh, you can have neutropenic fever and it can oh lead to God. major problems so Yeah. They give you a list of like, you know, all the stuff you're not allowed to do during chemo. And so I immediately like went out and bought like an electric razor for the first time in my life. And I was like, I guess I can use this to shave my legs. And eventually your hair falls out and it doesn't matter. But the electric razor was my first time using them. I didn't buy like a nice one because it was just going to be for chemo, but like they get clogged with hair and, you know, like just the mechanics of trying to like shave off long, long hair. I was like, it's going to stop working or burn the engine out in like five minutes. Like you got to cut it, make it shorter. Like we all know that, right? Like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For a previous podcast, I had looked up stuff about this storyline, not this episode and found an interview with her where she talked about this scene. And then I couldn't find it again for this specific (laughs) episode. But she had said that it was like hand sewn, this wig Mm -hmm. that she was wearing for the intention of being shaved off. And so they had to do it in one take because they only had one of these wigs. It was so like labor intensive to make it that they hadn't made multiple ones. Okay. So this scene was all filmed in one take too. That makes sense because normally a wig has like different wefts where they'll it'll be like lace in the front where you can glue it down and make it look like skin. So the hair looks like it's coming out, but then it has like these, you know, pieces of Brown, like kind of stronger than felt, but that go through the wig to give it structure. 
So I think in order to make her just the logistics of make it look like it's growing out of her, it must've been a really delicate like lace all over, which you probably could not even take off again, you know, yeah. like that it would be destroyed. So yeah, I understand, but I feel like that just made their job a lot harder to make it look really realistic and make us not think about it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I felt I, I felt for both of them when she wakes him up in the night and he reacts the way he oh. does. Because I'm like, it wasn't a great reaction, but he was asleep and he was startled, you know? And and I mean, yeah. I, I was like, I don't know if that's totally fair. I feel like if, you know, but, but who can blame her either? You know, I just, it was just, I felt so bad for both of them. It was just awful. Yeah. Yeah. I was so impressed after their big fight that Christina even was like able to have the presence of mind to apologize to him, let alone orchestrate this whole giant gesture. Yeah. It was so sweet. And I don't remember a lot of the series, it turns out, but this was definitely an episode I remembered like, oh yeah, they go on the date night and she has the wig and she flirts with the guy. But I didn't remember how it came about. Yeah. Like when Amber came rushing in and said, oh my God, Marlies called the fire department. I knew that had to be a lie because I knew Marlies wasn't in any more episodes, but I still didn't remember that that was the moment uh, he got surprised and she was there in the wig. She looked so beautiful. And a quick little side note about Amber. I could not get over how happy she was to help them on their date and take video and just I mean like Amber mm. just went through a breakup in the last episode she's probably heartbroken and there's just no sense of that she's just so happy to help I thought what a beautiful person I just <laughs> quick little side note there but yeah I loved I loved their whole date I thought it was beautiful and of course he's not upset with her for like reacting the way she did, he, the, I, you know, we sometimes give Adam a bit of a hard time for being like, like you kind of said earlier, he, he thinks he can fix everything. And he's uh, it's, uh, not everything about Adam has aged super well, but I think this has aged really well. His love for his wife, you know, like, and, and the way that he, mm -hmm. I think is pretty good about not taking things personally that aren't, you know, I, I think that he, especially from her, especially. Yeah. Yes. I mean, she, she's such a caring, wonderful person. You know, everyone is allowed to have these, these moments where they take it out on you, which is kind of, I think, what she was doing. But he's a safe person to do that to. And it's beautiful that she knew that. I too. mean, that's <laughs> the thing. It's hard to talk about these things. It's hard to deal with them. And so, so often you are reflecting them off of the people who are closest to you because they're the people who say something and then you realize how it makes you feel, you know? And so obviously her alone in the mirror, shaving her head feels one way, her getting a response from someone else. That was the first person who had seen her that way. And yeah. even if she had done it in a slightly better way where, you know, she said, <laughs> Hey babe, I did something as opposed to like, wake up, I'm an alien in your bedroom. You know. <laughs> um, oh my. But yeah, I agree. I thought, you know, how good that she recognizes that, you know, and how nice for them to have a moment where they, connect as a couple in a time yeah. when, you know, they're parents and for so many parents, that's all you are. You're a parent first yeah. and you're, you know, your coupledom suffers because your kids are your first priority, especially parents of a young child. Yeah. And then add something, you know, devastating like cancer diagnosis on top of that, that can take your whole focus. So how nice that she had the foresight to kind of say, wait a minute, let's recenter who we are together and let's get to spend time together and apologize to each other and, you know, work on this bond because I feel like that's 
if you can remember to do that in a relationship, that's like ideal. I'm like, oh, I want that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I oddly loved, the more I thought about it, that they ended up not sleeping together at the end mm-hmm. of the night. You know, that that was their plan and everything, but she just <laughs> was too tired and couldn't do it. I felt like there was a little bit of a theme all throughout this episode of people try, having like a an idea of how something should go or what it should look like and then having to accept that it doesn't have to look any certain way. You got to do what feels right for you. And it seemed like, well the couple finally getting their date night where they get to reconnect and they go to the fancy hotel and they dress up. That is supposed to culminate with sex. (laughs) And it's like, it can all still be romantic and wonderful and you can connect. Even if by the time it's time for sex, you're like, I hit a wall. I can't do this. Let's just watch our video again. Yeah. And I liked that Adam didn't give her a hard time. No, he just immediately gave her water. It was so sweet. Yeah. And she didn't seem to spend too much time feeling guilty about it. It's like, you already did all this, Christina. You had a wonderful night. Yeah. And it's no less wonderful. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was probably less about the the sex than the like intimacy, the time together, the you know, being there for each other in in that way. And yeah, I loved it so much. Yeah, I agree. Now we have had some very perceptive listeners write to us about <laughs> Christina's age before, and they have brought up this very episode. The scene where she flirts with Luke. Hey, hey, you here for the napty thing? Aren't you so glad it's not in Tulsa this year? Ugh, that was a snooze fest. Got stuck with this trio of shardies. So glad it's in Frisco. I mean, what an amazing city. The food, the people, the wharf, Alcatraz, Pacifio Park. Oh, it's like, it. come on. I'm Luke, by the way. Nice to meet you. I'm Jennifer. What do you do, Jennifer? Uh, I actually, I am in management. I have a small company, um, you know, three employees, doggy. That what? How old are you? That's awesome. Twenty. I just turned twenty-seven. No way. I just turned twenty-seven. Stop. Yeah. I love your hair, by the way. Really? Yeah, I love it. It's gorgeous. I just got it colored. It's amazing color on you. Wow, that's really nice to hear. I, I have this thing. Yeah. When I first meet someone, I like to pick out the one thing I, I love about them, and I compliment them on it. Oh my God, so smart. It's that a sales is such thing. a great idea. Yeah. You're in sales. I'm in sales, exactly. Get out of town. I would have never guessed that. I'm almost a top dog in my sales group. If I win, uh-huh. me and this other guy, neck and neck, I get to go on a trip next month. Where? Scottsdale, Arizona. One of the best places ever. I know. It's like the Beverly Hills of Arizona. It's, it is the Beverly Hills of Arizona. That's what I've heard. Excuse me. No, we're good. Thank you. So this hotel, the amenities of this place are amazing. It's really? Like all Kiehl's products, which is great. So that'll be... Luke, oh. this is... um. Mm. My husband, Adam. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Ah, okay. there it is. That's Married. <laughs> so sorry. I didn't. Um, oh, no. yeah, I think I. I think you should probably kick. Think his I should kick his ass. Probably. No. Luke, 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 we're kidding. I just, I just want to tell you, you just made my day. Okay, I'm really yeah. a housewife with three children. Three kids. Yeah. You put three in there. Well, congrats to you. Thirty-four, not twenty-seven. Wow. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. We, and I think it's pretty clear in the episode that she's still lying about her age. I really watched Hattie Adam. Because is 18 or, you know, 19 maybe at this point. Yeah. 
that's it. It's not that she doesn't look 34. She's Monica Potter. She looks stunning. She could be 34. But yeah, if Max were her oldest kid, then I'd be like, okay, maybe. But yeah, with Hattie having a, a daughter in college, it's like, okay, you would have been 16 giving birth. That would have come up in the series. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Adam is like 42 or three. They've said it. And so some 26-year-old knocked up a 16-year-old. That's your origin story. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> There's no possible way that she wasn't kidding. Especially I watched his face. Did you do that too, Caleb? Did you watch his expression when she said... I don't remember. I went back and watched it just to pay attention because she was like, actually, I'm 34. And he like is smiling like, oh my God, you're still lying. Like it's, it's really funny. It's subtle. It's subtle enough that I think the first time I watched the show, I was very confused by it. I'm like... Really? She's supposed to be 34? What about Hattie? How old was she when she had Yeah, and so I, I don't I don't think there's any way. That's so funny because as a person who doesn't regularly watch, you know, she says like, oh, I'm 27. And then they did like a great take of like up close. I'm like, she's got like a little, you know, crow's yeah. feet, which I love. I have no problem with, but you're like, uh, 27 is adorable. And it's yeah. Monica Potter. She's gorgeous. Right. And then she said, oh no, I'm 34. And I was like, Wait, what? Because sometimes, you know, actor ages and the character they they portray are very different. Yeah. But Peter Krause in real life has got to be 50. So I'm like, he's not playing like 35 on this show, is he? And is she really supposed to be 34? I was like, doesn't she have old kids on this show? Like that, uh, uh, and I did not catch that. Like she was lying again, but it's also like, I don't know these characters as well, yeah. but it's also like, you know, if someone says like, oh, you, are you 25? And you're like, oh no, I'm 29. You know, <laughs> right. so I, was like, I would have said the same thing to some guy in his twenties that's hitting on me. Like, yeah. oh no, I'm just a little bit older than that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, and the more I thought about it, the more I just kept coming up with evidence that she couldn't possibly be 34. I'm like, uh, as you said, yeah. <laughs> it's hard enough to get a routine mammogram at 40. I'm like, who's going in at 34 uh -huh. having a routine mammogram? Mm -hmm. She's not. She's lying. So anyway, somebody yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. wrote us about that. And I was like, I have thoughts on that. I remember that. <laughs> I will say at the time of this episode, Monica Potter was 41. Okay. And Monica Potter had her oldest son when she was 19. Okay. So she was oh, a, young, a young mother Okay, and she had two sons okay. when she was very young. And then she had, I think at the time of this episode, a seven-year-old daughter okay. from a different relationship. Wow. Interesting. I also want to give a shout out to Ryan Hansen who played Luke. He was great. <laughs> he was great. He had one scene <laughs> and I felt like. I really got a strong and clear idea of who that character was and like even a little nuance to the character. I mean, he was a little <laughs> bit of a stereotype. Yes, he was like a tool, but it felt like he had some decency too. Yeah. He seemed like appropriately apologetic and like he didn't want to be cheating with some guy's right, wife. Right, right. Yeah. He was like, oh, I just honestly thought I was hitting on this beautiful woman. That's all. And he was nice to her yeah he wasn't a creep i thought i thought yeah. it was a great call that they went for a really enthusiastic dude you know just like a yeah. go-getter you know like he's a salesman i agree it's like yeah. he's like a bro but not like a you know asshole bro just like oh yeah i'm at this conference out of town and like there's a pretty lady like oh i'll hit on her but not in like a gross <laughs> or creepy way just like 
I'm young and I think she's cute. And like where you just assume that everyone's your age. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. two totally unrelated thoughts about him and that scene. Um, number one, I am currently rereading Pride and Prejudice for like the one millionth time because I teach it every year in AP Lit. And mm. it does remind me just a little, he's much more likable, but a little bit of the character Mr. Collins who like compliments ladies, as he calls them, ladies, but th- but then like <laughs> tells them that he does it. He's like, these are the sorts of delicate oh. compliments that I like to give females. And I was like, it's so weird that he hits on her. And then he's like, you know what I do? I look out for one characteristic that I like, <gasps> and then I compliment it. And she's like, that's so smart. <laughs> and I just thought that was- Cringe, cringe. Yeah, I was like, if he was really smooth, he wouldn't have just explained what he was doing when he told her she had nice hair. And I thought it was so funny. And then my other thought is that I knew I knew that actor from somewhere and I looked him up and he is just in one episode of the Mindy Project, but it's a really, it's a really unusual episode of the Mindy Project. It's called Mindy Lahiri is a straight white man or something like that, or maybe a straight white male. I can't remember, but basically it's like this dream fantasy sequence where she like goes to bed herself and she wakes up and she's him played by that guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and he just moves through the whole episode just getting everything he wants, whereas Mindy Lahiri always struggled <laughs> because she's like a woman of color. And it was just played. Uh, it, he was perfect. It was really funny. And he had sort of the same level of enthusiasm about it where he's like, all right, I'm just getting everything I want. I'm a dude. <laughs> anyway, so those are my thoughts. Well, he is a friend of Dax Shepard's in real ah, life. I didn't know that. So I wonder oh. if um, because he directed this episode, if. Mm, that's how we got to do some casting too yeah Yeah. that's cool yep um caleb what you were saying earlier about um you know people assuming they have a plan and that things are going to go how they imagine it will go yeah that was totally the whole um crosby jasmine thing you know oh yeah listen i've been thinking about your mom and um i basically decided that I think we should help her. I mean, when I married you, I I married your whole family, and I think we should give her the money. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. It's the right thing to do, so... What is a lot worse than I thought? I sat down with her today and went over her finances, and it's a mess. Between rent, utilities, and credit card bills, 5,000 won't even make a dent. Okay, so what are we supposed to do? Option one is to give her the money, but that won't last, and we'll be back in the same situation a month from now. Okay, and then then option two is what? She can come stay with us. In this house? Yes, in this house. You, that's, option two is your mom lives in this house? Yeah, well, we, we have a spare bedroom. That's not a spare bedroom. That's my space where I do things, okay? They're creative. It's not a spare bedroom. Honey, I think you can live without your man cave for a month or two. For a month or two? How long do you think she's going to live here? I'm just saying. It'll only be temporary until she gets back on her feet. Okay, listen to me. I love your mom. I do. She's a beautiful woman, but we cannot have her living here. She's going to take control of everything. We're going to have prayer circles and crucifixes no, and all She'll this. be out looking for a job. She won't even... Why doesn't she move in with Seiku? Because he doesn't have room. We How do. could he not have room? He's one person. We're three. Look, it's not going to be that bad. I think it'd be great. 
she can help with your bar. Grandma's moving in with us. You get the advice and you're like, okay, I've imagined this conversation in my head and here's what's going to happen. And you're prepared for that. And then you have the conversation. It's like, wait, no, that's not what we were going to talk about. Like, I had the plan ready and I made the decision based on the outcome of the plan, you know? Yes. Oh, totally. I thought that exact same thing as I was pulling the clip for that scene because Crosby (laughs) goes in there ready to, yeah, we should give her the 5,000. Even from the first time I saw it, the way he says like, I've decided that we should give her. I thought like, what? You decided. (laughs) Jasmine asked you (laughs) as, you know, her spouse. And then you consulted Mm -hmm. with your brother about it. But I, I wasn't quite placing what really bugged me about it. And I think it was that he like wants to appear to be a good person because he thinks it's like going to score him points or something. I don't know. Rather than actually giving Renee what she needs. Yes. That is sort of Mm -hmm. secondary to him. Yeah, totally. What he wants is to look as though he's doing the right thing. But when it turns out that what she needs infringes on his own space (laughs) and stuff even more, well, then I'm not on board. Yeah. Which again, I can. And then totally... he turns into like a whiny baby, you know, like <laughs> right. Oh, I need my art room. Like, what do you mean? Like, get her out of here, you know. And you're like, oh, really? You were just gonna hand her five thousand dollars? Like you're the king, but now you know this. So. Yeah. And yep. I get where he's coming from. I mean, yes, I think anyone would. It would be no hard. Wants to give up their space. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was a, I thought it was a smart escalation of that conflict because, you know, no one wants to part with $5,000, but the upside of money is that it is very impersonal. And if you have $5,000 that you're able to give, then you can kind of stop thinking about who you gave it to. Like, well, I did my part. I wrote my check. That's literally an expression. Mm -hmm. You throw money at it, you know, like to make the problem go away. Yeah, exactly. But having someone in your space, in your home, upsetting your routine, that is a lot to ask. It is. I I really did like objectively think, oh, Crosby, you are being terrible in this episode. But then when I <laughs> put myself in it, I'm like, oh, that would be really hard. <laughs> like, like I love my mom and I love my mother-in-law, but that would really be so difficult because yeah, you you just you you're not as comfortable, I would imagine, you know, like you you just feel like you're entertaining, which is tiring you know um it probably doesn't just feel like family is staying over and you can be as comfortable as ever it probably feels like we have a guest in the guest room and i need to behave a certain way and 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 sometimes you're exhausted from work and life and you do just want to go home and completely relax into your routine and a few months of that would be that would be a lot so the longest i've ever stayed with anyone in their home was towards the beginning of the pandemic, I stayed with my sister Lindsay and her family for six or seven weeks. And on the whole, it was great. Mm -hmm. And they were happy to have me there and I was happy to be there. And especially in the early days of that, when things were so bad in New York, I was happy not to be in New York Mm -hmm. and I was happy not to be alone. But by the end of those weeks, I think both of us were a little (laughs) bit like, Okay, it's time. Yeah. Like this is it's just hard. It's hard for the guest, I think, because you are totally uprooted. You're not in your normal routine. You're not only not in your own space, but you're not in a space that you can really make yours. You're a guest. Yeah. And then for the host, 
you know, that's, <laughs> they have little children there and, and mm. a routine that they have to get. And her husband's a doctor and he has bizarre hours and it affects his sleep schedule. And it, you know, it's just, it's hard even when you get along as we did. Yeah. I love her family, but mm-hmm. it was definitely like time to go. Yeah. No, totally. I thought Adam's advice, you know, that if you marry someone, you marry your, their family. I think that's generally good advice when it comes to a family that's well-functioning. And, you know, if you're not talking that the family members are abusive or, you know, something right. like that. Yeah. Right. So I understood where that advice came from, but I do think that's a hard thing in practice because there's a certain level of comfort when you're in your own home with your own family. And even if you add a person who is family, it changes the dynamic. So yeah. I did have sympathy for him knowing that, you know, oh, normally does he walk around the house in his boxers in the morning? Probably can't do that. You know, yeah. like normally when, you know, your wife and the kids are all at school or out, do you have a half an hour where you get to lay on the couch and watch sports and nobody bothers you? Maybe not going to be able to do that. You know, there's just that extra like 10% of total relaxation or privacy that's going to go out the window when you add an in-law to your safe space. Yeah. Yeah. I had two thoughts about Adam's advice. Number one, I did think it was so funny when he was like, it's a gift and was like using Crosby as the example of how he knew it was a gift because he's lent money to Crosby. And that is well documented on the show. Like they talk about it all the time. So I, I thought that was very funny and it made Crosby's reluctance to give money to someone a little more hypocritical because you're like, all right, you don't seem to have a problem taking money from people, but okay. Um, And I, I mean, and I also think that is good advice. I've heard that before. Like if you lend money, you should not lend money that you like can't afford to lose, that you should look at it as I might not Mm -hmm. ever get this back. And so I thought, yes, those were my thoughts about that. But then I did think with that, the issue of like loan versus gift, I I thought I was agreed with Adam Mm -hmm. that, Crosby should give it if he has it. Right. Mm-hmm. I my one thought was like I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's a gift. Like I don't know if I'd tell her. No, don't you, you worry. You just think it in your yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. I think you need to think it in your head. Yeah. And I think even that aside, like you need to be willing to give it. With I mean, I think I'm the same same. Yeah, yeah. You said, but with family. Uh, especially Renee, you know, she strikes me as someone very trustworthy. Yeah, she's, not a she's gonna pay that back. It's like if she <laughs> has fallen on these hard times and you ha- are able to help her, help her. Yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't tell them. No, this is I wouldn't either. I, I, yeah, just yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the other thought I had was I thought it was like you said, Beth, good advice about you marry their family, but. Just as far as the show goes, it also struck me as ironic because Adam did not seem to marry Christina's family as we never <laughs> once meet Ooh. anyone in her family. Like, oh! <laughs> like, you know, earlier, Beth, you were talking about how there for you, your family has been and how it's a support system. And you are right that Christina also has a support system, but it's exclusively through Adam and his family. They never cast oh, anyone to play her mom. We know her mom's alive. Oh. She just never visits her daughter who's going through chemo what (laughs) and so anyway i just had to mention that that i thought it was really funny for adam to all-knowingly say you know you marry someone Mm. you marry their family even though i did not (laughs) easy for him easy for him to (laughs) say even though my wife's family is nowhere to be seen thank goodness yes (laughs) you're the only one who would have to deal with this not me but you know take it from Uh. me so anyway (laughs) 
<laughs> I also wondered throughout this whole conflict where the compassion for Renee is. I mean, we don't hear a lot of what led to this. I mean, she lost her job. We've heard that. But how did she get into so much debt and, and what happened? And Crosby is so tunnel vision focused on how this is going to affect him mm-hmm. that I think he just can't even feel bad for Renee. But like at the end, when Renee actually shows up, even to just see her, we know Jasmine and we've seen some of Renee before. I think she's a proud woman. I yeah. mean, she has dignity. It is very humbling to have to go to your adult children. Yeah. Oh. Knowing and everyone knows, well, I have somehow made such a mess of things. Maybe it's not her fault, or maybe it is, but still. And then to come and say, like, I need, well, you said earlier, Beth, about cancer, it's hard to ask for help. And Renee is not battling cancer, but she is asking for help. Yeah. I, I just think have some compassion for this mm-hmm. family member who who is such a good person and yeah. is so helpful with their family. I don't know. I thought Crosby was such a baby at the top <laughs> of this scene. Good morning. This one too. Welcome. I'm sorry about this, Crosby. Sorry about what? Come on. I know that I'm putting you out and I hate it. But it won't be for long, I promise. At any rate, the point is, thank you. I appreciate it. You're a good man. I'm sporadically a good man, but um, <laughs> thank you. And um, you know, you don't need to be sorry. We're we're very happy to have you. Um, especially Jabbar, he's through the roof. So, Mikasa Sukasa. Welcome, and I'm happy you're here, too. Thank you. You stay as long as you want. (laughs) Well, we won't go that far. Okay. (laughs) I mean, and I realized what I was just criticizing him for is exactly, I think, the lesson he learns in that scene. Yeah. So he does come around, but at the beginning, when he was kind of like being cold to her, I thought, you cannot treat your family that way. And or even just like, that's your wife's mom. Yeah. Like that, I, I mean, obviously, but no, yeah. and obviously, someone she's someone who you know Jabbar is so excited. Like they have a good relationship. Watching the show, having never seen the grandma before, you know, I was like, oh no, does do they have like a bad mom who's always mooching off of them? And then by the end of the episode, I was like, the grandkids love her. They say she's yeah. gonna come and help out with them, like. Why are you being such a dick? Like she, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's obviously having a hard time, and it's a real hard time. Not like, oh, I don't feel like going to work, you know. So I agree that clip. Like by the end of it, when he says like sporadically, you're like, uh, yeah, because you were just horrible about this whole situation. And obviously, this woman is trying her best, and this is what you do for family, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that she showed so much. You know, she's aware of the situation. I thought it was very gracious of her mm-hmm. to uh, acknowledge that you know she's imposing on them a little bit. And I thought it was really a good strategy on her part to be like a little self-effacing there at the end, like, well, not <laughs> stay as long as I would. Okay, so we all know what's going on here. This is not ideal for anyone, mm-hmm. but we're gonna make the best of it. We all love each other. I thought it was really funny when she said he was a good man and his answer was sporadically, sporadically, I'm a good man. Not only is that charming 
And, you know, some people I think might be saying that self-deprecatingly, like, oh, I'm not good at taking a compliment. I think he is pretty good at taking a compliment. And I think he actually knows, yeah, I'm only sporadically a good man because I've been a real baby about this. (laughs) And so I think he doesn't feel Mm -hmm. right just straight on taking the compliment because he knows if if I were truly always 100% a good man, I would not have been behaving the way that I'd been behaving. So I can only accept Mm -hmm. the compliment if I say sporadically. (laughs) So, you know, I'll also say I feel like from what we've seen of Jasmine in previous seasons, I feel like she has grown Mm -hmm. because even though Crosby said she railroaded him, I don't think she did. (laughs) I think he was being a baby there. No, I actually feel like if Crosby had calmly said, I really don't want her here, I will work with you to figure out a place where she can go and be safe. I feel like Jasmine would have accepted that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would had to have had a good reason, and I don't think he did. Right. But she asked him, it sure seemed like in this episode, before she ever made the offer to her mom. Yeah. Both with the money and with moving in. Yeah. And I feel like previous Jasmine, who's so used to calling her own shots, might have said, it's my mom. You got to do this. Yeah. Mm. I agree. Unlike, you know, Julia quitting her job or Adam buying the luncheonette, she ran it by her spouse first. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're completely right. They did, though. They handled it, you know, like a team because you do, you check in first and, you know, and I think if he had said, oh, no, actually, I need the room. I have some new project happening with the luncheonette and, you know, that she would have said, "Okay, can we help with her rent? What are our options? Because obviously they were going to help in some way, but it wasn't, I didn't think it was railroading. I think it was, you know, a conversation, not a directive. Yeah. Him acting like he needs that room. I'm like, well, you own the Mm -hmm. entire giant luncheonette with your brother. Like when he was moving his stuff from the room to the luncheonette, I'm like, why isn't it just there anyway? Like it's maybe nice to have a guest room, you know, like, but no judgment. Maybe sometimes he wants to do his creative stuff from home and he, you know, is allowed to, but I did think you've got a pretty good backup plan in this giant building you and your brother own. So another shout out to Amber in an episode in which she had almost nothing to do in that scene where Crosby's bitching about giving up his room, I love that she just can't stop laughing oh, I know. at him. That she just doesn't take his tantrum <laughs> seriously at all. And he's her boss. I know. You know. But I also love that he was like, are you the creative engine of this place? Are you? And then he looks at Amber and he's like, someday you may be. But for now, it's <laughs> like, I think he's like, I can't call her uncreative. She's totally creative. Have you seen her hair? You know? Like, so. <laughs> anyway. Well, mm-hmm. let's keep expanding on my theory that this episode is about like perceptions and living up to them. Mm. So Sarah and Hank are trying to be a real couple now, but Hank doesn't have any idea how to do that. You should, you know, ask me out sometime. You know? Like what? On a date? Because <laughs> otherwise, you know, we're here and right. sometimes we're there and, you right. know, it's. I'm looking at the Goldberg. I mean, it's just weird. Uh, this is a little weird. No, this is weird. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is weird. But, the, okay, so we'll go on a date. So, uh, so I should, like, should I ask you out on a date? Is that do out? I have to do everything? All right, all right, all right go back. <laughs> okay. Do your thing. Do, 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 do. Hey, uh, Sarah. Yeah? How you want to go out, like, to a restaurant or something? <laughs> okay, yes, okay. Okay. 
Thursday, maybe? Thursday. Uh, whenever you want to go. Busy. You got a lot going on for Saturday. Thursday's fine. Okay. All right. Is that it? You have to make uh, yeah, plan. okay. Oh, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? We're going to go to the place that you uh, have in your head already. Okay. <laughs> so, seven-ish? You have to make some decisions. Yeah, let's go seven. Okay. I'll wear a dress. I'll buy something. <laughs> I'll buy something new. This will be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, Beth, you should know this about me. I've been very vocal <laughs> about Hank because um, you don't see it. Well, you see, I guess you do see it in this episode because she's looking at pictures of her ex on Facebook and she talks to him about that. But I was a huge fan mm -hmm. of her and her ex. And Hank kind of essentially broke them up. And mm. if I didn't know all that, I would... I have to say, find this episode adorable. And despite all my misgivings, I still kind of did. And it was kind of interesting. My husband, you know, was walking through and he was like, it's the stuff like this that made me always like Hank. Cause he always did like Hank, but like he happened to be on the worst episode for Hank, I think, where Sarah was breaking up with her just incredibly nice boyfriend or rather her incredibly nice boyfriend, fiance, broke up with her. You just hanked Mark. I just hanked Sorry. Mark. Yeah, I just demoted him the way that everyone else does. I shouldn't have Which done that. Which he does in this episode again. He does. I did hate that. That's true. Uh, so anyway, I just thought I would mention like, when there's not all that icky stuff about Mark and it can just stand on its own, there's a lot to like, I think, but it is, I don't know. And they was, do have their own kind of chemistry. Chemistry. Yeah, chemistry. They definitely do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Beth, having, I don't know if you saw any of the Mark stuff with the few previous ones, but what was your impression of Hank as still a relative newcomer? I really found their dynamic very charming, mm -hmm. especially going to our theme, apparently, of this kind of like <laughs> what is expected and what how you think things are going to go. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of the epitome of that. Like, oh, ask me out in a proper way, even though we're already like hanging out, which I feel like my friends who are in their 20s, that's all they do is hang out. Like no one ever like asks someone out. It's like, you're hanging out, you're sleeping together. Oh, you're engaged. Like he was never your boyfriend. <laughs> what? You know, but it is, I thought their little, you know, the way that date is planned in the shop is very cute. And then the whole fact that they go somewhere fancy and then they realize that's not them. And they end up having kind of like picnic-y was very charming. And yeah. that once again, then she wakes up the next morning and he's gone. And she immediately thinks like, okay, I know what that means. This was a mistake. This is, you know, this is not what I, what it might be. I'm, I got to get out of here fast. And he's bringing her croissants is very charming that it's like, they've made assumptions about each other. Oh, I thought you slept for 10 hours. So I thought I had time to go get croissants. Oh, because you left, I assumed that this went badly. You know, like uh. I felt a lot of that felt very true that a lot of times when we're figuring out what a relationship is, when it's kind of in the early stages you do a lot of assuming and jumping to conclusions, but really I found the two of them very charming. And I kind of was like, oh, they're, they're both kind of messing this up, but maybe they're <laughs> on the same page. So yeah. it's going to work out despite them, you know, almost messing it up many different ways, you know? Yeah. So I like them together, not knowing about her ex, you know, not knowing if, I assume he was a good guy since everyone seems to like the him. very best. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will say that it really proved to me 
that, like I said, if they had just broken Sarah and Mark up at the end of season three, I think I'd be really into this, like based on this episode. Mm. It, it was very cute. It still is a little hard. Like I, Caleb, when you mentioned that he does d- demote him again and say, You're, you, you know, you miss your boyfriend. <laughs> and she's like, fiance. I'm like, I don't know if I'm entirely over those little microaggressions, Hank, <laughs> even though I am charmed by you in this one. But what, what, what did you think, Caleb? Well, at first, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at my notes, which I wrote based on my first watch. And yeah. then I watched the episode again today. When I first watched it, I was fresh off of talking about <laughs> the previous episode and the breakup and everything. And I wrote, it's charming, but it's too soon. Yeah. Sarah didn't have to do any of this coaching with Mark. Mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. He was very <laughs> charming on, on his own and just asked her yeah. out. Yeah. She felt like Gabby to me working with Max to help him understand social cues. Mm-hmm. But if I just don't think about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is so charming. And I also wrote, like Beth, you mentioned at the end when he goes to get the croissants and Ray Romano got an honest to goodness little giggle out of me in that scene where she said, you were going to bring me breakfast in bed, weren't you? And he says, I don't think that's any of your business what I was going to do. <laughs> I thought that was, and I wrote down, maybe I'm not as impervious as I thought to his charms. It was very cute. Although he does make me laugh a lot. Like when they're in the restaurant and he says, if I'm going to put on a tie, I want a double digit salad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how like, that's she, funny. I don't know how she didn't laugh at him saying that the maitre d was Gerard Depardieu. I thought that was a very funny <laughs> yeah. thing to say. But yeah, I mean, it is true. I feel like you have to sort of ignore a lot. You have to ignore the fact that he's her boss. So like all this charmingness, it is a little complicated. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just not concerned about it since they're a two-person operation. I don't know. But you also have to ignore how they got together. And There's no to... HR department there to That's get right. involved. So yeah. like, yeah, just check and balance this. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it is it is a little tricky because I the show is like working, I think, to make you root for them. But Caleb, you just said something so important. It is very soon. I mean, she was so, she was engaged to be married. And then the very next episode, she slept with Hank. And now two episodes later, they're like a couple, it feels like. And as much as you might be tempted to just kind of let go and be like, oh, but it's charming. It's cute. You might also think, as I did, like, is this a problem? I mean, like, could this be a problem for them down the road if she's not fully processing And then I got a little bitter, to be honest with you. I'm like, she's more honest with Hank than she ever was with Mark. She just tells him that she's struggling with with Mark, that she saw the thing on Facebook and that it's hard for her. She tells him that like she owes him something on their first date, whereas she had kissed Hank when she was engaged to Mark and never told Mark. And I'm like, wow, why are you so much more honest with this guy than you were with your fiancé? And maybe if you were that honest with your fiancé, he would still be your fiancé. And that was a little complicated, too. You know, maybe it's that inferiority complex. Maybe she felt like sharing some parts of her life with Mark was like ruining Mark. Hmm. Because he was so perfect and had everything. Not perfect, of course, Hmm. but (laughs) compared to her, she seemed like I'm like defiling this young man who is so good and I'm such a mess, I can share it with Hank because he's a mess. Mm. It's the way I feel when I stay in really fancy houses. (laughs) I think I can't, I can't like, (laughs) you know, just like be a slob. And I don't know if I could live in a place like that. It's like, I have to be able to fart on my own couch. I can't feel like, (laughs) no, 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 I can't, you know, I, and maybe, 
Maybe Hank is her fart couch. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, there it is. I mean, there is that intangible thing where, you know, and if they're working together, they have that day-to-day camaraderie where if you had a little bit of a wall up, it's probably gone by now because you couldn't keep it up, you know, over time. It's why people have like work wives and work husbands because- no. There is that familiarity when you see someone on a schedule every day without the wondering of, are we going to make a date? What's our plan? You know? Yeah. But I did wonder if when she, even when she brings up, you know, I'm still thinking about him and he says, oh, I still, you know, get jealous of my ex. I wondered if that was a little foreshadowing because it kind of got dismissed pretty quickly. Like, oh, that's normal. And I was like, well, is that normal forever? I don't know. Like, I don't know if you, if that Good is point. healthy forever. I you didn't know? think it was for him to be like, you know, right. I'm divorced 10 years. When I see her with someone, I don't like it. I'm like, I don't know that that's great. Maybe you should be right. like, good. I, <laughs> I want her to have love. let that go. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And that's funny because sometimes I think people do bond over unhealthy feelings. Now, I think her feelings about mm-hmm. Mark, pretty healthy because it's a fresh breakup. But for him to be like, yeah, yeah it's normal. You'll be feeling this 10 years from now. It's cool. <laughs> what? Yeah, everybody feels that way. We're all obsessed with our exes forever. And, and you're like, are we? we be? I don't, doesn't, I don't know. doesn't seem right. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. That's funny. Yeah. I, th- there are those mm-hmm. little moments with him where, well, and you just said something, Beth, that made me think, you know, that they do have the day-to-day camaraderie and you said it like, like, it's good. It's how they get to know each other. It's why people have work wives and work husbands. And then I thought, but is it good to see pretty much exclusively one person all day long? And then that's the person you're in a relationship as well. Like, wouldn't that very quickly make that one person your entire world? Like, isn't it nice to go to work and be away from the person you're married to or dating? Like, so that you come back together at night and you've got things to talk about and you've got a whole life that's full and yours and you have some independence still. Like, I just worry that now that you kind of mentioned that, I'm like, she could just really make Hank her everything as it kind of already seems Hank has done with her, you know, like Hank called her drunk instead of calling literally anyone else. He called someone else's fiance because that's probably his only friend. I'm like, that. I don't know. We talked about codependency in an early episode with, with those two. And now that we're talking about it, I'm like, it's so cute and charming. But then I'm like, oh, no, some of my misgivings are still there, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. That's um, like a very theatery concept because it's kind of like the idea of the showmance, you know, that yeah. you're working on a show with someone and you meet and you're spending every day and every night together. You know, you're in rehearsal every day, all day. And then at night, you a lot of times when you're working on a, a show of some kind, it, it's why it happens in Hollywood, it happens on musicals, you know, then at night, these are the people you're hanging out with and any kind of flirtation blooms so quickly. And then a romance happened and it's so intense because you are that scheduled seeing someone every single day. It's exciting and there's no like, you're kind of avoiding a lot of the difficulties of modern day dating. Should I text him back? How soon is too soon? Oh, I'm waiting for him to call, but I want to see him. So should I call him? Cause I want to see him. If you have that work relationship, you don't have to ask those questions, which is a good thing and a bad thing yeah. because things do get so much more intense, so much more quickly, but it's also like, wait, did we put in the effort to make this happen? Or did this happen because of convenience? Because yeah. we 
were, you know, kept being forced into the same place with each other. And so it was like, oh, well, I don't want to make it awkward at work. So like, yeah, let's take it to the next level. Let's move in together, you know? <laughs> yeah. He kissed me at work. So now I guess we're together. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he's going to have to see me tomorrow. So it'd be too weird <laughs> to take him back. You yeah. Know? Doubling down. I lost my fiance mm. over this. So I'm in. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, last but not least, running with this theme of what's real, what's perceived, I thought it was really striking in the Victor storyline as well. We got our math tests back. Okay. Well, you studied really hard. I'm proud of you for that. Maybe we can just shoot for doing a little better next time, you know? Do better than that. 93? You got 93%? 93? Isn't that like an A? Yes, that is absolutely like an A. Never really gotten an A before. Oh, that's incredible. Can we show it to my mom? You just did. Not her, my real mom. I want to show her how good I'm doing. How well you're doing. Can we please? Um, well, we can talk about it. Uh, First of all, as I so frequently say, you know, I don't have kids. And I wonder if having kids might kill me. Because if my joy at hearing this fictional character about a 93 on a math test is only a fraction of the joy I'd feel if he were real and my child, I don't think I could take it. I mean, I was over the moon when he said, I got a 93. Yes. Oh, I would just be too invested. It would be a nonstop (laughs) emotional roller coaster. Yeah. But boy, the air went out of that balloon real fast. I know. And he brought up his real mom. And he brought it up so innocently. You know, it was it wasn't like when he yelled at Joel, You're not my real dad. No. Which I think was just he knew it would hurt Joel. Yeah. This was so not that. Yeah, he was proud and wanted to share it with her. I totally got that. Yeah. And I actually spent a good time, a good amount of time in this episode wondering, are Joel and Julia telling the truth that they legally can't see her or is it they don't think it's a good idea i don't think i was 100 percent sure on that did either of you feel like you knew the answer to that no 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 and i was definitely curious because you know i guess it's their right as parents to set whatever boundaries mm-hmm. they want to set yeah. but I don't know if that was the direction on purpose to make it unclear if that's the case, if they've decided as a team, like, no, it's not good for him. It's going to make him, you know, emotionally not able to step fully into this family. Or if it was like for legal reasons, you know, especially because I don't know, like what happened with Victor's mom or why she lost custody or where she is. Is she in prison? She is. We actually got a little new information in the scene where they sit down and talk with him. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, Victor, you can't talk to your mom. Why not? Well, because... You know, in the past, you've stayed with families for a little while and then you've gone back to your mom. Foster care. Right. Right. This is something different where... Now we've adopted you and, you know, we're your parents and I'm your mom. But you're not my mom. Okay, buddy, I know this is difficult, um, but this is the way it is. We're not the ones making this decision, okay? This is um, the court 
decided this because of her substance abuse. I know I can't live with her, but why can't I just be friends with her? I know this this doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. You know it. Julia says that his mom had substance abuse yeah. issues. Mm-hmm. At least for me, I, mean, I had the exact same question you had, Melissa. Because And we've previously seen them, like Victor wanted to reconnect with an old friend that he had. And we saw them or heard that they called a social worker to see, is that okay or is that going to be bad for him? And the social worker like advised against it, but they went ahead and did it anyway. It turned out to be good. Yeah. So I wondered the same thing. Like, is this a legal policy that they are not supposed to have contact because Victor did seem in that scene to understand a difference between living with someone and just having some kind of relationship. It's like, why can't I be friends with her? Which I thought, what a heartbreaking way to phrase that, you know, like, I know I can't live with her, but why can't I be friends with her? And I thought, and at least for me knowing that she was in prison for substance abuse and like not some violent crime made me feel Mm -hmm. extra bad for her. I mean, not that living with an addict is a suitable environment for a child. But if she'd murdered someone, I would feel less compassionate that she lost her son. But if she's got an addiction that she just can't manage and it cost her Victor, I feel really bad for this unseen mother. Yeah. And I feel so bad for him that, of course, he remembers her and has a relationship and he's proud of something he achieved and he can't share it with her. And would it be crazy to let him, like, if it's not against the rules, like, go see her, go with him, of course. Yeah, supervised. I wondered the same thing. And maybe I'm being really naive wondering this, but I thought, is that possible? I mean, I at least wondered, why aren't they calling the social worker to talk to them the same way they did about his friend that he wanted to play with, you know? And unless it's more about them, like you said, Beth, like wanting to set boundaries or being uncomfortable with this or... You know, they keep asserting, you know, I'm your mom now. I'm I'm your dad. And I just, I wonder if he, it just did not seem like a very good decision. You know, I mean, it, this, the episode started out so well. He was so proud and he was happy to, you know, they were joking around. They were hugging. And then this changed the entire trajectory very believably, I thought. But boy, if, it, if I were Julia and Joel... It would have really broken my heart, I think, to see it sort of swivel that way and for him to be reverting back to some past behaviors. And of course, you don't want to just give someone everything they want, but he's not asking for like monetary things. He's not being like bratty. You know, it's not like what he wants is something shallow. He wants to see his mother who he must love. And I uh, I don't know, but my... My heart went out to him. I felt really bad for him. And I thought it made perfect sense that he was acting out in this episode. I'm not saying it's okay to act out, but I got it. You know, it was it was not bratty to me at all. I think there's obviously, not knowing the show as well, um, I think Julia's issue more than Joel is coming up because I don't know if she is feeling threatened by his mom or, you know, second guessing the decisions they've made, bringing him into their home. But obviously there's like more going on with her because I feel like she's letting this like shake her emotionally and she is the parent. So it's like, you know, these times are going to be hard, but you have to like have his, you know, his best interests in heart and instead it's a little bit like I wonder if she's making decisions because she's having trouble handling all this right now you know yeah it seemed to me like she was afraid of him in this episode like 
she there's mm-hmm. that scene with her and Joel where she's sort of describing him like he's an intruder in their home instead you know like she starts to say yeah, but like she wants to give him back yeah you know? yeah she starts like he's on the outside of the family yeah and, yeah did you say anything oh just that he's sorry and he thinks you hate him he could have seriously injured Sydney honey it was an accident it was a metal bat yes it was a metal bat what was he thinking believe me he knows he did something wrong and he knows how pissed off you are at him you're saying I'm overreacting to this? I think that once this all calms down, I think he just needs to know from you that it's the behavior you're upset with and not him. What does that even mean? No, they're not separate things. You judge people by their actions. Okay, well, his action was an accident, and so he's going to learn from that accident. I think we have a much bigger problem than you're admitting here. And what's that? That our child one of our children was seriously endangered by our other child and i don't know what to do about that i don't know if we can live like that okay i couldn't tell but did did it seem to you guys like joel got up out of bed when she said that it was interesting there was like rustling next to her and he like he, it didn't pan out hard, and, and then the scene was over. But when she was like, "I don't know if we can do this" or something like that, it seemed to me like maybe he got out of bed, like this, like like he was gonna go sleep somewhere else. Like this was a really big fight. They did definitely leave it completely unresolved, as is their way. <laughs> as is their way, yeah. <laughs> and he clearly was not pleased with her. Yeah, like I think he is not having. Yeah, they're definitely on the trouble that she is having. Yeah, right. Yeah, it seems like he's like we took this kid. He's off it's going to be hard but we got this and she's kind of like are we sure maybe he's not ours maybe we made a mistake you know like she's having much bigger doubts than he is yeah yeah well and i i will say that bat throwing scene was very effective i remembered that it was coming and it still literally scared me yeah and to be the parent and you know walk in on (laughs) that broken window and and one of the kids screaming Mm mm-hmm I at least believe that that would really rattle her. Yeah. Although I thought it was really kind of tragic that last scene with Julia outside of Victor's door. Yeah. You know, in Mm. in her discussion with Joel, he said, you know, he thinks you hate him. And then to see Julia like the next day and Victor won't talk to her. Yeah. I felt like a couple of things in the scene made me think she has the situation almost completely backwards. Yeah. Two things made me think that. Mm-hmm. She says to him, you look, buddy, I know you're upset about yesterday. I think the problem is that he knows she's upset. Mm. Yeah. And then she also says, can you talk to me? But I think she needs to talk to him. Yeah. I, I think he is thinking, you know, the look on his face in the scene when he threw the bat, it seemed to me, and kudos to the actor, like he immediately regretted it. Yeah. Like he knew he shouldn't mm-hmm. have done it. And yeah, he's saying it slipped out of my hand, but he's a 10 year old boy. I think he knew that was not cool. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But he now thinks that she is afraid of him, yeah. like you said. And she needs to say, I'm not afraid of you. It's not okay that you did that, but I don't hate you. I'm not upset. And if she doesn't, I feel like she really risks 
alienating him. I mean, just like happened there when he said, I want Joel to take me. Yeah. I want yeah, the I adult in this house who I don't think has a chip on their shoulder about me yeah. or hates me or yeah. is afraid of me. Right. Well, I think the baseball bat moment was scary, but I also thought her first reaction was not the best reaction. Like it was definitely like she was angry at him and I can't help but think if they were her two biological children that when something scary like that happens, your first response is, is everybody okay? What happened? As opposed to like, right. Like, are we all okay? Okay, now we're going to deal with consequences. Was this a mistake? Did you do this by accident? Was this on purpose? And instead, she was just mad at him right away. Like ushered Sydney to safety, kind of. Yeah. 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 And so it was a very us versus you mentality. And especially for a kid who's saying he's gone through foster homes, he's, you know, felt displaced. He's felt unwanted for so long. You know, it's like, my mom probably loves me, but even she can't be my mom. Like you're not going to immediately trust someone who says like, Oh, I love you. You're looking at their every behavior and her behavior is not showing him that he is safe or that he is, you know, unconditionally loved. Like it feels like, Oh, you know, you're here with us, but like, if you mess up, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Victor's no idiot. And I think kids in general are intuitive. Yeah. And if he senses that she prioritizes Sydney over him, I think that spells trouble for her. Even at the dinner table, not making him eat his broccoli, like, okay, I think she was trying to be nice, but it's also like, okay, these are your kids. You have to have the same rules for them. You have to show the same love for them, you know, like, so even stuff like that, where she's trying, I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's the best way to handle it either. Kind of reminds me, Joel said in an early episode that Julia treated Victor like a guest, you know, by by not being as strict with him and stuff. And, you know, while kids may not like it when you're strict, they they on some level, they kind of do. They need it. It shows I belong here. You know, I'm not just a guest like, you know, guests don't have to eat their broccoli, but Sydney does. And so Sydney thinks it's being unfair but I think it's actually kind of reverse, you know, like she, she thinks it means she's being picked on, but it really just means she's there and doesn't have to even question it. And, you know, what really gets me is I went back and watched that baseball bat scene and I don't think it slipped out of his hand. I think it was a conscious choice he made. Oh, me too. Yeah. And that he, I agree with you, Caleb, that he immediately regretted. I don't think he's like a violent kid or anything. I -hmm. really wish they would have questioned Sydney. Like, well, what made him do that? Because Sydney was saying the most horrible things Mm -hmm. to him. Dinner's almost ready. So, can I try? No, just leave me alone. (sighs) Who's your real mom? What? Well, you said you wanted to show your test to your real mom. Who is she? What's it to you? Just be quiet. Did she do something bad? No. Well, at the schoolyard, they say she's in jail. She's not in jail, stupid! Well, if she's not in jail, why doesn't she come see you? Just shut up! Your mom must not love you. Your mom doesn't love you because you're a bad kid. Just leave me alone! Not that that justifies it, but we are we are all human. And if someone is saying your mom doesn't love mm-hmm. you, why isn't she here? I mean, those are horrible things. I think that's yeah, way... Yeah, it didn't come out of nowhere. Right. And I think that's way worse, by the way. Like, I kind of defended Sydney a few episodes back when she was like, he's not my brother. And I thought that was actually less malicious. It was more a result of them pushing him, pushing him as her brother. And she's like, you know, but in this case, I'm like, oh, they're... 
that is just hateful. <laughs> like that was yeah. just awful. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the biggest problem I've ever had with Sydney. I know a lot of people say she's like very bratty. And up until now, I've been like, oh, it all seems within the range of how a kid would act. And this, I'm like, but this is vicious. Are kids this vicious? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think they are, but I think they need consequences for it. Yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. only Victor's yeah. behavior was examined there. And they both yeah. needed their yeah. behavior examined. And Julia didn't even ask what happened. She just like came in there and assumed he like threw that for no reason, you know? And And it's funny, I had a slightly different interpretation of that dinner table scene because I thought, like like you, like Sydney can be bratty at times, but I thought she was pretty restrained that they were treating Victor totally differently. But I read it as, like, how would you explain to her that Victor's dealing with something emotionally that maybe earns him some slack in other areas? But how do you say that to her without painting him as dysfunctional or something. Mm, mm. But I think you guys, I I hadn't even considered it is like that. You can't treat them like a guest thing. You make, if you make your kids eat their broccoli, then Victor can't just not eat his broccoli because he's going through something hard. Like that's how you tell him he's part of the family. He's treating the same. Right. You're saying, I know you had a bad day, but you eat your broccoli because we want you to live a long life because we love you. You Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the, it's that like, Again, like, well, we want to perceive ourselves as a whole family. You know, like Victor says in that scene, when Julia says, you know, I'm your mom now. And he goes, but you're not my mom. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was hateful either. I think it was a kid struggling with, why are we all saying you're my mom when I know who my mom Mm -hmm. is and you know who my mom is. We all know who my birth mother was. This is like crazy town. (laughs) Like we're all just, yeah. And 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 I just thought, gosh, that is... How do you navigate that? Because in a way, I mean, I think that's what Julia is struggling with in that last scene where she talks about Victor like he's not one of their kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, well, she gave birth to Sydney and has known Sydney every day of her entire life. Mm -hmm. And Victor has not even been there a year. Are we just ignoring that that would? But but then I think well, this is what the purpose of being an adult is. Like, it's okay that Victor struggles with this. He's a child. Yeah. But the adults kind of have yeah. to set that tone. Yes, this is, I don't know, I'm I'm rambling, but it's because it's confusing to me. And I, I don't know what the right answer is. I also think you have to look at patterns of behavior. Like, he's had other struggles, you know, but I don't think we've ever seen him be violent. I think this is an outlier after almost yeah. a year together. So I think mm-hmm. for, for Julia to sort of like go immediately to this kid's a danger isn't quite fair, even though I do recognize that that would be very scary, you know, and that would shake you up. But it's not like he did that day one or something, you know, like you know him a little bit by now, maybe not his whole life like Sydney, but you must know this is out of character. Let's talk about it. Well, like one of you said earlier that Victor was the only one who seemed to have any consequences. Based on that Joel-Julia scene, she asks Joel how Victor is. It's like she hasn't even spoken to him since it ended. Did anyone ever ask Victor what provoked this? Right. Because if Victor was honest and said, well, Sydney told me my mom doesn't want to see me because she doesn't love me, that has to be dealt with. And if you're Victor and you get punished by your mom... And who you don't even think is really your mom. Yeah. And then she doesn't even ask to hear your side of the story. Yeah. I mean, that makes me think of like 
season one when Amber slept with Steve Mm -hmm. and Sarah asks her what happened. And Amber says, you know what happened. And she says, not from you, I don't. There's a difference. I love that scene. Like that is the way a parent (laughs) should listen to their child. Yeah. Because it doesn't make what Amber did okay. And this wouldn't make throwing the bat okay. But you do need to know, like, I want to hear from you why you threw a bat. Yeah. Especially if, as what you said, that, you know, he's been with them for a year. They know these people. They know him. Like, that's where I'm, I think I, this episode just left me so frustrated with Julia, because if this is, this is your child, first of all, but even if this is your, you know, foster child or something that you know them well enough after a year that if they do something totally out of character, scary, violent, whatever, that your first response should not be like, oh, they're bad and they're not mine. It should be what's going on with you. You know, like, let's talk about this. And do that before he's shut the door and locked you out because by then it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't trust you. And I, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. He's, he must have really hard time trusting people. And she spent the last year trying to earn his trust. And it's so true. I think how slowly earning trust goes (laughs) and then it can just be lost instantaneously. You know, it can be lost so quickly and Mm -hmm. it's just really tragic. It's so sad. And I wondered, though, do you think he meant to hit Sydney? Like, you know what I mean? Like, did he mean to hit the window? Did he mean to hit her? Was he just mad and throwing it without thinking? Because I tend to think it's that last one. But, you know, maybe. Yeah, that was my take on it. Mm-hmm. He just threw it in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, kids who are frustrated and don't know how to get their feelings out. And so you might lash out physically. And in his mind, he's obviously mad at Sydney. I don't think he would you know, want to intentionally hurt her. So he probably just like let go in frustration knowing it wasn't a good thing, but not thinking about the damage it would cause, you know, like, yeah, I don't think he was trying to like, I'm going to hurt you, but he obviously was like, this needs to stop. You know, I'm mad. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, if he had not thrown the bat, but walked over there and hit her with the bat, I feel like I'd be having a totally different opinion on this. Even if he had never shown (laughs) violence before, like, that is fucked up. But throwing does <laughs> right, seem targeted, like such, yeah. Yeah, but throwing does seem like such a you're just mad blowing up on your own and she was mm-hmm. nearby. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I buy that. Yeah. Yeah. It almost doesn't seem violent. It's yeah. it hit the window, that makes it seem worse. If it had hit a tree, right. Would anyone be you know, yeah, but mm-hmm. it could have hit her too. I mean, I'm not saying it's okay. Yeah. I mean, but. Julia is right when she says that he could have seriously hurt her. And yeah. I mean, that is worth something for sure. And I don't know how I would have reacted in that moment, but boy, that look on Victor's face at the end of the episode, you know, just like totally not wanting to open the door because he doesn't trust her anymore. It just really makes me wish that they would have at least asked Sydney or asked Victor, you know, just like it does. It just doesn't seem like anybody even thought to investigate why he did it. And I think that is yeah. like mm-hmm. you're losing all the context. Heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Also, this is so random. I know we're past this point now, but can he even call his mom on the phone? Yeah, just say, I got an A on a test. I got an A on a test. I know. Like, I- it seems like such a normal <laughs> human request. And that he's been there for a year and has never expressed wanting to see her or talk to her. And the thing that makes him want to is an A on a test. 
I think just demonstrates what a big deal that is in his world, which Julia should be proud of because she helped him get there. Like, oh, it's just, it's very sad. It is very sad. Agreed. That is hard that he, you know, finally is proud of something and wants to share something he's proud of, you know? Yeah. I mean, he didn't want to tell her I got a home run at baseball. No. He didn't Mm want to tell her. I believe in Santa again. (laughs) (laughs) He just wanted to say I got an A on a test. Yeah, I know. It's heartbreaking. Well, on that note, (laughs) (laughs) I actually thought, as we've said before, like this season that has so much about the cancer storyline in it, this episode was another good example, I thought, of finding kind of a Mm lighthearted spin on it. I mean, the the date night was nice. I guess it was a good, like, the light and the dark. Yeah. Her her self-image mm-hmm. and how she felt perceived by others. Yeah. Tempered with, you know, she still has her husband and that's, like, rock solid. It was one of my favorites of the season so far, I think. Me too. I felt like all the storylines were engaging. None of them felt like the back burner plot. Right. And I felt all the conflicts were well-rounded. You know what? I'm hooked. This episode got me hooked. Now I've got to go back to the beginning and start Yay. watching Parenthood and listen to your podcast to Aww. follow along. I'm Thank so excited. That's so kind. It was invaluable having you here. Thank you again for coming on anyway, but also, you know, being so open about your experiences. That was just that added so much. And uh, I, I think listeners are really going to appreciate that as much as we did. So thank you. Of yes. course. My pleasure. Glad to share. Do you want to plug your next job? We always ask people if they want to. Um, I will say if there are any cancer patients out there, people undergoing cancer of any kind, there are amazing free resources out there that I did not always take advantage of while I was going through active treatment. If you need any help with anything, check out cancercare.org. I got a free cancer therapist for when I was going through treatment that was invaluable it's a little hard with COVID, but they'll normally during not COVID, they'll do things like grocery deliveries. They'll walk your dog for you. That's amazing. And now I also host, it's sometimes once a month, sometimes every other month, uh, the JCC of Manhattan, the Marlene Meyerson JCC does free online programming for cancer patients. So we do a program called Broadway's Best for Breast Cancer, where I sing a song and we have panelists and every month has a different um you know, focus. So we did one on, you know, body image. We did one on surgical outcomes. We did one on men's breast cancer. So there are a lot of free resources out there that um, if anybody is going through cancer or knows somebody who is, it's one of the things you could do if you know somebody who's going through cancer is to do some research and send it to them and say, Hey, look, there's free house cleaning for people with cancer. Can I sign you up for it? Or, you know, stuff like that. Because I think it is so hard to ask for help, but um, there's an amazing, there are amazing resources and amazing communities out there. I love that. Thank you for telling us That's about wonderful. that. Yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Wow. Well, and if you <laughs> want to find out about us, you know where to find us. <laughs> That's uh, we're, It feels so paltry. In it really does. But we are on no, Twitter, Instagram. No. Facebook, Parenthood Pals everywhere. And you can find all of our info at our website, parenthoodpals.com. 
Thanks again to Beth Kirkpatrick. Yay, thank it was you so, so great much. To see you. Loved meeting you. It was wonderful. Thank you guys for having me. What a treat. <laughs> and thanks to all of our listeners. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true. <laughs>